You're listening to audio from Cibolo Creek Community Church. To learn more, visit CibeloCreek.com. This series has generated a whole lot of interest. It's, um, it's generated quite a bit of discussion and some debate. It's, um, it's generated a lot of feelings. And it's generated quite a few emails. (laughs) It's interesting, of the four messages in this series, today's message was the hardest to prepare. There was just so much I wanted to share. And I just don't have the time to share it all. Um, But I think what I settled on through a lot of prayer, I I think will be valuable to us. Um... Can I, can I begin sharing with you something really personal that's on my heart? You know, in the Old Testament, we meet the prophets, these messengers who spoke on behalf of God to the nation of Israel. They weren't very popular at times because they often spoke things that Israel didn't want to hear. They were uncomfortable. There's this phrase that's used of the prophets in the Old Testament. It's the the idea that the prophets carried a burden. And I never really knew what that meant. Like I knew what the word burden meant. I just didn't know personally what it meant. Until, I don't know, a few years ago. And it hit me. I was like, oh, burden. The prophet's burden is a heavy heart. Because of his perspective, looking at the landscape of what was happening in his world and knowing what God had revealed to him as the prophet and what he was to say, his heart was heavy. He sort of carried the weight of the world on his shoulders. He lived, he lived with just this abiding concern for what was happening around him. So it's interesting, Jesus, he said his followers, those who followed him, he said, they'll be the salt, you are the salt of the earth. Now, Salt has a number of different uses, probably contextually and historically. He's using salt in terms of a preservative. That salt was designed to preserve. And Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth, Christ followers. You have a, a way that you sort of keep things from going as bad as they can be. Because of what you bring to your to your world. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? And he's implying it it can't. It's really hard. Once you lose that edge, it's hard to get it back. It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. And then he said, you are the light of the world. There's something about you as Christ followers that you're to bring hope and help and healing to an otherwise dark situation. A a town that's built on a hill, it can't be hidden. 
Neither do people light a lamp and then put it under a bowl and hide it. No, instead they put it up on a stand and it gives light. That's what light's supposed to do. And then Jesus taught his followers this. He said, in the same way, I want you to let your light, your hope, your healing, your help, I want your light to shine so that others may see the good that you bring to the world. Then others see your good deeds and deeds and glorify your Father in heaven, that ultimately that your place on earth and what you offer to your world is to eventually bring people's attention to God. That's the church. So there's two things that I see happening that have created in me a heavy heart. You might not agree with them. I'm simply sharing from my perspective as a student of culture, a pastor of 30 years, there's these two things I see that are happening and they make me concerned. The first one is this. Christians are becoming more and more intimidated to speak up for Christ or to take a stand for the gospel for fear of being maligned, labeled, canceled, ostracized, boycotted, sued, fired, arrested, or assaulted. It's happening more and more. When a Christ follower makes a stand for the things of Jesus and the truth of the gospel, he or she runs the risk of people saying things about them that aren't true, of, of being labeled with words that aren't accurate of how they really are, but it's just easier for somebody to label them. I had lunch with a dear friend just a week ago. He works for this enormous international company. He's new to it. He's talking about some of the introductory um, workshops, seminars that he's being asked to go to as a part of the human resource department. And he was sharing what it is that's being shared. And he's, he's living in a struggle of, can I continue to work here or do I have to leave this company? And so what I see is that many Christ followers just choose to step back. The second problem that I'm seeing, and again, not every one of you will agree with this. I'm just sharing my perspective. The second thing that I see is happening is that many Christians are seduced by the alluring voices of culture and the appeal of what's very popular all of the buzzwords, all of the movements, all of the causes, more and more Christians are often aligning themselves with secular philosophies and ideologies instead of the timeless truth of God's word. I see a lot of Christians following hard after very popular sorts of ideas these days, and they're trying to get the scripture to fit to it rather than trying to get it to fit under the truth of the scriptures. And here's why either of those two things are of concern to me. Because you are the salt of the earth. 
You're the light of the world. And the more that we are intimidated and step back as the church, the more that we are seduced and allured away from the essence of the gospel of Jesus Christ, then what happens is the voice of the church grows faint and her light dims and her influence fades. And the church is losing its place in the world. And that breaks God's heart. And it delights his enemy, the devil. That makes sense. So throughout this series, we've been working from this premise. The devil, God's celestial enemy, perpetrator of all things evil, has an extremely powerful and persuasive advocate, spokesperson, defender in our world. It's called culture. This is what culture looks like. This is just a short list. These are many things that influence and contribute to the experience of culture. And I please, please hear me. Not all of culture is evil. Not all of it is bad. There's lots about culture that's beautiful and wholesome and right and good and just. But culture, like all things, are, is fallen it's been impacted by the presence of sin, and therefore it's easy prey for our enemy, the devil, to use it, to leverage it for his purposes. And so we've been saying the most powerful movers and shakers of culture actively, actively advocate for many of the values, the beliefs, the behaviors that the devil seeks to promote Contemporary culture is often the devil's advocate for all things contrary to how God would have human beings to live. And so as where we, we ended up in our discussion last week is this, that every day followers of Jesus wade into a fray of contemporary culture, a raging battlefield of opposing beliefs and behaviors, many of which are completely contrary to the life Jesus has called us to live as his disciples. That's why I think this is urgent. That's why I think it's serious. That's why I think we need to be more aware and alert to what's happening around us. We, we looked at these passages to be alert and sober-minded, like take this seriously. You have an enemy, his name is the devil, and he's looking to devour. His intent toward us is not good. For, the Satan, for Satan himself, he, he's the author of deception. He masquerades. And often he takes on the appearance of things that are good and right and just and wholesome. But in the end, they're not. He likes to seduce and draw people away with what is appealing. But his intentions toward us are not good. And so we have to be careful. Put on the full armor of God. It's just interesting that the language of Ephesians chapter 6 is that we're in a battle. you got to put on armor. We're in a battle. Put on the armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. In other words, the devil is up to stuff. Okay? All right. At risk. I'm going to show this slide again. 
because there's an important point that it illustrates. Last week, last week, in a context of the landmines that Christians have to wade through every day, the sensitive, explosive sorts of cultural and social topics that we are navigating as Christ followers, the landscape looks like this. A host of very, very powerful social issues. And here's what I know. That in this room and online, there are people on both sides of every one of these issues. Just take your pick. Committed followers of Jesus who have, a, have an interest in God's word and a sincere relationship as a follower of Jesus. Still, both sides of the issue. And we, we could, if I, if, if I wanted to, we could take the time and go through every one of them. And some of you will think, yes, I believe in that. I think that is so good and right these days. It's such an important discussion to be having. Others are like, that is the scariest stuff out there. And have legitimate concerns and cautions about the, the overall impact of every one of these things. And, and here's what I'm going to say. Because I, I was going to explore some of them. We don't have the time. Chicken, yeah, maybe. Okay. Some of you, I'm, I'm, that, that sounded antagonistic. Some people, they think critical race theory is such a critical discussion to have during these days of our nation. And some people would say, is it just a more sophisticated form of discrimination? So what's the right way of the legalization of marijuana? Some, of, some people are like, yeah, that's a great idea. Take the stigma off of it. Take the penalty off of it. Let people use it for health reasons and recreational reasons. And other people are stepping back and go, that's the looniest idea possible. Can you imagine the net effect of a larger nation impaired by marijuana? Could you imagine what could be the, the travesty of that? I'm just saying, we could talk about vaccines, we could talk about both sides of the issue. And here's the deal, and I'll say this as lovingly as I can. On a certain level, I don't care what you decide. Now, I do care. But in, in the overall thing, I just say this. You're adults, do your own research, draw your own conclusions, answer for your own life. I don't care what you decide on any of these issues. But here's what I do care about. Because we would all have to agree unanimously that Satan, our enemy, looking to devour, is using all of this stuff to accomplish his greater plan. So just take these topics and change the words. And we got stuff like confusion and frustration and fear and anger and hatred and more forms of discrimination and bigger division and attack and polarization and manipulation, deception, intimidation, chaos, shaming, cheating, tyranny, doubt, mistrust. And this is what our enemy is trying to do. This is his game plan. 
And he wants to do this in marriages, and he wants to do this in homes, and he wants to do this in schools, and he wants to do this in workplaces, and he wants to do this in communities, and he wants to do this in nations, and he wants to do this in churches. This is what Satan is up to, and he's using the fallen nature of culture and all of these very sensitive, explosive issues to accomplish his grand plan, and that is to divide and devour human beings. And that's why my heart's heavy. Does that make sense? So then the question becomes this. What's a Christian to do? And I wanted to ask this question. What's a Christian to do? Not what an American's to do. Not what a Republican is to do. Not what a Democrat is, is to do. Not what a good human is to do. I'm curious about what does a sincere, devoted follower of Jesus Christ do in a world where Satan is working overtime to destroy and devour what are we to do as people who call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ? That's the question. And so I give you this one word of advice. It may sound incredibly trite and simple, but I believe it down in the depths of my being. It's always wisest and best to come back to Jesus as your place to start with any of the great questions of life. The North Star by which you set the compass of your life. You'll come to know his heart and his mind in the pages of God's word in the Bible. What is a Christian to do? We are to look to Jesus as he is revealed in the pages of the scriptures, both Old and New Testament, and we are to center our soul there on him. And anything, I don't care how good, how right, how just, how beautiful, anything that takes us, pulls us away in the slightest bit from Jesus is dangerous. So we see this discussion in the Bible and on the surface, it could be very confusing. John tells us in his letter, um, he says, do not love the world or anything in the world. Now, again, I told you in week one of the series, the word world is used a couple of different ways in the Bible. He's using it here primarily as culture. The influences of the world around us do not love the influence of the world. Anything. If anyone loves the world, look at this. This is, this is important language. The love of the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, we see that a lot in our world. The lust of the eyes, we see that a lot in our world. The pride of life, we see that a lot in the world. It comes not from the Father, 
but it comes from the world and who it is that's behind most of all of that that exists. So we have these words, do not love the world. Do you see those? Right there. Okay, but then look at this. For God so loved the world. What? Important distinction. There are the influences of the world around us. And then there are people. Human beings. And we are to love them. Like God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son in the hope of providing healing and restoration that whoever would put their faith in his son, that they should not perish in a world that's lying and deceiving them, but that they could know the gift of eternal life. And who in this world are we to love? Everybody. No exceptions. Look at this. Jesus said, you've heard it said. This was a common teaching his day. Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. People that you don't like. People that you know, do mean things. You, you have permission to hate them. That was a teaching in Jesus' day. And he said, but I say to you. No, no, no. Not for Christ followers. We don't operate under that. We do this. We love your enemies. People who may hold diametrically opposed beliefs and lifestyles and values, who may be completely against everything that you hold dear as an ambassador of the gospel, love your enemies. Love those and bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you for what you stand for. Pray for those who spitefully use you. And there is a day coming when they will persecute you. That's what followers of Jesus do. We love people who live very differently than we are called to as Christians. And what I'm finding is that it requires an enormous amount of wisdom for a follower of Jesus to navigate a life of holiness in our contemporary culture. It's not easy. I, I'm, I'm going to tell you, it's not easy. It's not black and white. There's so many complexities, so many layers to what it is to love a world that loves everything that's opposed to God. I love the book of Proverbs. It's my favorite book in the Bible. I'm not saying it's the best book. I'm just saying it's my favorite. All right, I love the book because I'm fascinated by wisdom. It's this great passage. Just to show you how difficult this can be, okay? Chapter 26, the book of Proverbs. Do not answer a fool according to his folly or you'll just be like him. Very next verse. Answer a fool according to his folly or he will be wise in his own eyes. You're like, what? That's like completely contradictory. One, one verse you tell me, answer a fool. And the other one says, don't answer a fool. Like, that's, that doesn't even make sense. It does in the context of wisdom. You see, a wise person is discerning about the situation they're in. And there are times that a wise person discerns that when I look at the landscape of what's happening in this situation, I'd just be foolish to speak into this because it's not going to go anywhere. 
It's not going to help. Jesus, he, Jesus just used different words for it. He said, don't cast your pearls before swine. Don't take something so valuable and just throw it in the mud. The pigs won't appreciate it. They'll just walk all over it. There's times that we're in situations in the classroom, at meetings at work, in discussions with our neighbors. We, we, just, we may have something to say, but a wise person goes, no, it's just wise as I don't say anything. But then there's other times that we, we must discern that there is a boldness that must be addressed. And we must speak into situations and that, that takes a lot of discernment in the heart of a Christian. A Christian who's not developing an understanding of the voice of God in their life to be able to lead them is missing the opportunity to know how to navigate the very complex discussions that these social issues raise. Here's some of the dilemmas that are very real these days. How in the world does a Christian navigate grace and truth? The call of Christ is that we are to speak the truth in love, but we are to speak the truth. We are to hold the ground on the timeless truths of God's word, but we're to do it with grace. And our society makes that really hard. Because for some people, for us to speak the truth to them, they just accuse us of not being gracious because they think in their mind, graciousness is permission to do whatever I want and you can't call me out on it. That's dicey to navigate your way through. Here's another one, acceptance and approval. How do we accept people who live lives very different than our calling as Christians without giving approval to that lifestyle? That's a very dicey dilemma. It takes an enormous amount of wisdom to navigate. It's not easy. How about this one? Love and light. We as Christians, we are to bring light to our world. We are to bring a certain exposure to that which is wrong and dark. And yet, we're to do it with love. And this word, this word is changing and our society is saying, if you love me, you won't call me out for what's inconsistent with the truth of God's word. You'll just accept and approve and applaud my lifestyle. And if you don't, then you hate me. And that's not the truth. Because hate is not the same as, I just don't agree with you. They're very different. We have this idea of choice and consequences that we have to acknowledge that human beings, they've been granted choice and you can do with your choice as you please. But I also have to be a warning of you of the fact that there's consequences and you may not believe in God and you may, not, you may ignore the scriptures, but I'm telling you as a Christian, there are consequences for choices made contrary to the truth of God's word and they have eternal implications and we have to navigate that. Within grace and love. And then there's this idea of judgment and being judgmental. And they're different. They're different. Look at this. There's a difference between using good judgment and being judgmental. In the book of Proverbs, we're taught that a wise person observes. They look at life as it unfolds and they look at something and they go, you know what? God says something about that. And I look at the, the harm and I look at the danger and I look at the consequences of that. And so a wise person goes, well, I'm not gonna live like that. 
I'm going to choose to do something different. But you know what? That's just good judgment. You don't have to say a single word. You don't have to be judgmental about it. Just use good judgment. Here's, here's a saying that I hope in the whatever number of years that I'm pastor here, I hope this one sticks. Okay? It's this. Being righteous, doing the things God's way. Being righteous is always the right thing. But being right is not always righteous. If the attitude and the tone and the posture that a Christian takes and standing for the truth of God's word and they become attacking and insensitive and mean and judgmental, we're not being righteous. As ambassadors of Jesus Christ, we are to be humble and loving and kind and respectful regardless of how differently somebody may believe or behave from our calling as Christians. Nowhere, nowhere in the Bible are we given the permission to be rude or dismissive or disrespectful of others. Nowhere. But in our highly polarized, our highly litigious, our highly emotional, highly contentious society, it seems like it's almost impossible nowadays to have honest, real discussions with somebody without it becoming an attack. And it's really sad when the one doing the attacking calls himself a follower of Jesus. It's inconsistent. In fact, the person who attacks when in a discussion about truth, the book of Proverbs calls a fool. Because fools don't like to be told what to do. Christians often play the fool. When a Christ follower is arrogant, disrespectful, insensitive, angry, aggressive, hateful, all the words, in how they engage in difficult discussions about morality and faith, we must see it for what it is. It's sinful, it's disobedient, and it's unchristlike. When our light becomes a laser, when our salt just becomes acid, when our boldness becomes arrogance, we are not following Jesus. And a hush falls over the crowd. <laughs> oh, look, these are the instructions of the scriptures. Peter says, always be prepared to engage in conversations with someone who asks you about the hope that you have as a Christian. But do this, this discussion, do it with gentleness. And respect. You get that? When you engage in conversations about your faith, we're given specific instructions about how to do that. Do it with gentleness and respect. Timothy writes, flee the evil desires of youth, pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, along with those who call the Lord, call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Don't have anything. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments. A wise person goes, I'm not even going there. Because you know they produce quarrels. And that's not your calling. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone. Able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed. 
Look at the language. Gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and by they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of who else? The devil who's taken them captive. The wisdom required to successfully navigate an unholy culture demands a passionate relationship with Jesus and a deep devotion to God's word. And I might add, almost continual prayer. Folks, every day you send your kids to school, you ought to pray over them. Every day you and your spouse go to work, you ought to hold hands together and pray for each other. Can I be so humble to ask that every day you should pray for your pastor and his team? All right, I got uh, no minutes left. I actually have a couple. They give me a cushion. <laughs> They're so nice about that. I want to give you three C's. You can remember three things, right? You won't remember anything else I talked about, but you can remember three C's. Here's, here's some guiding principles about how Christians are to navigate a world that's quickly moving far away from God. The first one is this. Compassion for all. compassion for all I don't care how far how broken how mean how warped compassion for all why because that's what Jesus modeled for us I love this verse I love this passage of scripture Matthew chapter 9 Jesus went through all the towns and the villages he's like moving throughout his society his culture he's teaching in their synagogues proclaiming the good news of the gospel the kingdom healing disease and sickness and I love this line it's like oh God give me this heart when he saw the crowds he had compassion on them because they were like harassed and helpless like Sheep without a shepherd. The first and wisest thing a Christian can do is develop the heart of Christ when he looks at his neighborhood and his place of work and the school that he attends and the, the friends that he runs around with. He looks with compassion because their hearts are broken and their eyes are blinded and their ears are deaf and they're far, far from the one hope, the one true hope in life, and that's Jesus. And we ought to have our hearts break for them. The second C is condemnation for none. Compassion for all. Condemnation for none. For nobody. You know why? It's not our job. It's not been given to us to do. Look at this. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son for God did not send his son to the world to condemn the world. So if God didn't send Jesus into the world to condemn the world, then what gives us the right as Christians to condemn our world? It's incompatible. Jesus didn't even come to do this. 
Look at this. At dawn, Jesus appeared in the temple. Okay, I, because of time, we have to go through this. Jesus, um, he's teaching the Pharisees, religious leaders, has found a woman, and she's been caught in the act of adultery. Okay, they caught her while it was happening. They drag her in all the humiliation. They bring her to Jesus, and they say, teacher, what should we do to this woman because she's broken the law? I mean, we have evidence and fact. There's no disputing this. I love, love how Jesus says in the law of Moses, we're supposed to stone, we're supposed to kill people that do stuff like this. But Jesus bent down and he started to write on the ground with his finger. I love it. Evangelical church has spent the last 50 years trying to figure out what in the world did he write in the dirt? It makes no matter. I think he was just doing the pregnant pause. Okay, I'm going to have to take care of this. And so when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and he said, okay, I'll tell you what, let the one of you, let any one of you that is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. She deserves to be stoned. So the first Sinless person, you go first. And then he stooped down and he started writing on the ground again. I'll just let that hang out there is what Jesus was saying. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. That's why we have condemnation for none. Because none of us are without sin. We only beg for the same grace toward them that we beg for God to give to us. Jesus straightened up and he asked her, woman, where are your accusers? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir. Then neither do I condemn you. That's not my job. I came to seek and to save the lost. Go now and leave your life of sin because you've been the recipient of amazing grace. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. All this is from God who reconciled us. And look at this, Christ gave us the ministry of what? Reconciliation. He didn't give us the ministry of condemnation. That is not what he entrusted to Christ's followers. He said, help people find Jesus. Help them be restored to a relation. Quit pushing them away with all your condemnation. He's, and just in case you missed it in the past, he committed to us a second time, the message of reconciliation. All right. Third C, control of self. Compassion for all. Condemnation for no one, because that's not our job. Our responsibility is to control our behavior, our attitude, our interactions. I love this verse. This verse doesn't get enough airtime. I'm going to start giving it more airtime. All right? We urge you, brothers and sisters, Christians, to love more and more. Look at this, and make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. Quit being the police of everybody's behavior. 
getting up in everybody's grill. Mind your own business. Follow Jesus well. You should mind your own business. Work with your hands just as we told you so that your daily life, look at this, your daily life and your daily love may win the respect of those outside of the faith. And if I could make one last plea. For the love of God, please quit trying to save the world or rescue our nation while refusing to walk across the street and love your neighbor, regardless of how different their beliefs and their lifestyle may be from your own. Does that make sense? I can't tell you how important that is to me. If our church does anything well, is we should go across our street. Before we ever go across the world, go across our street and love our neighbors to Jesus. Because that's the gospel. That's what the church is to do. That's the salt of the earth and the light of the world. I'll leave you with this. Dear friends, John writes, he's writing to the church. Do not believe, okay, this, this, this is about our world. You want to test to know what you should be following after? Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out in the world, and this is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Okay, listen. Books you read, causes you chase after, movements that you want to be a part of, all of that. This is how you can recognize when God's in something. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh and is from God. If Jesus is not at the very center of it, I'm saying use discernment and steer clear. As good as it sounds... As just as it seems, if Jesus is not at the center of it, it's dangerous. Every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus, it's not from God. That's all I got. Thank you. can't tell you how much I love you guys. I want the best for you and I want the best for our church. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Yes, Satan is a mighty force and he's leveraging culture for his purposes. But Jesus Christ lives in you. He's bigger and stronger and wiser and more eternal. And he always wins. So let's stand with him. Let's stand together. Our Father and God, I pray over these men and women, both in this room and online. And I ask, I ask your blessing on them. Stir something in their soul that's so big that they will courageously and confidently stand for your son Jesus their savior 
that they'll not shrink back, but that in all the love and the grace and the kindness and gentleness and humility and respect that you call us to, that we will be the light in our communities, in our workplaces, in our schools, our neighborhoods. God, don't let the voice of this church go quiet. Don't let our light become dim. Please, don't let our impact lose its edge. We pray and ask this in Christ's name.